This is Publishers Weekly Radio, the authority on all things books and publishing, with everything you need to know, from your favorite books and the world in which they live, to bestseller lists and publishing news. Here's the inside story on your favorite story. Publishers Weekly Radio, with your hosts, Rose Fox and Mark Rotella. Hello, and welcome to Publishers Weekly Radio on Sirius XM Book Radio Channel 80. I'm Rose Fox, Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly, bringing you the very best of book talk. We're coming to you directly from PW's offices in New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. We are here for you, and we want to answer your questions. So send them to us at pwradio at publishersweekly.com or tweet them to Publicly Radio, that's Pub WKLY Radio on Twitter. Today we're honoring Black History Month. Author Beverly Jenkins is going to talk to us about her newest African-American historical romance novel, Destiny's Embrace. And then we'll talk with PW senior news editor Calvin Reed, who has the rundown on recent and upcoming noteworthy books by and about African-Americans. But first, here's what's hot on this week's Publishers Weekly bestseller list, powered by Nielsen Bookscan. Definitely a, a sad note, Chris Kyle's autobiography, American Sniper, zoomed up to number one on the mass market paperback list, selling over 38,000 copies. Uh, and of course, that's because Mr. Kyle was in the news uh, having been killed in a very unfortunate fashion at a shooting range. Yeah, and he's he's devoted. This is the uh, he's a Navy SEAL uh, and an American sniper. He writes about he's he's known to be the uh, the most lethal sniper in history. But uh, after after the war, uh, uh, when he retired in two thousand nine at eight. 34. He went back to his native Texas with his wife and two kids, and, and he spent time there uh, working with vets uh, with post-traumatic stress disorder. And w- one of the ways he did it is by bringing them to a, a shooting range to, to help release that tension. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently one of those vets turned the gun on him. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a really sad story. And clearly a lot of people saw that and decided they wanted to know a little bit more about him. And they went out and picked up his autobiography. And what's what's interesting in in this case is that in our uh, spring announcements for 2013, Chris Kyle has a book coming out uh, this season. And we picked his book, American Gun, A History of the U.S. in 10 Firearms, as one of our top 10 picks for the uh, for the season. And it was going to be in time with the uh, uh, re-release of his um, uh, American Sniper, uh, the reissue, the paperback. The co-author, William Doyle, will finish up the manuscript for that book, uh, American Gun. And uh, you know the, the the original word was that there was going to be a five hundred thousand copy first printing of the book. So we don't know whether that's been increased or or what now. But um, this is going to be you know this book that's on the list right now. Uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you know another book of his on the list. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And also on on other news, we have a, a book on Scientology coming out beyond belief. Uh, this is written by uh, Jenna. Uh, Miscavige Hill, who's the niece of David Miscavige. He's the one who, for the most part, uh, runs Scientology, the head of Scientology. And this is a tell-all about this girl who, when she was a child, signed a contract uh, that stipulated that she dedicate one billion years of her life to service the church and service of the church. That's a really long time. It's a very long time, exactly. And this is something that is uh, topping our lists as well. Mm-hmm. 
And in a lighter note, I took a look at the children's picture books list. Uh, I, I don't often turn that page somehow. I mm. tend to focus on the adult fiction and nonfiction. Sure. Um, yeah, and I today I, I flipped it over, looked at the kids' books, and um, there are five books by Dr. Seuss in the top five spots, and five more appear in the top 25. So Dr. Seuss is everywhere. And, you know, obviously these are perennial favorites. Green Eggs and Ham, which is the number one book right. on the list this week, uh, has been somewhere on the list for 394 weeks in a row, which uh, is about uh, seven and a half years. Fantastic. So, uh, you know, at, at one point or another, somebody's always buying that book. Uh, but as it happens, it's at number one right now because uh, all of Dr. Seuss's works are getting a big push thanks to the 75th anniversary of the 500 hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. And also Dr. Seuss's birthday is coming up on March 2nd. And there's always oh. a, a big, big promotion around then. So if you wander into a children's bookstore at the moment, you're likely to see a lot of Seuss paraphernalia scattered all over the place. Uh, and we may have to remember that on our show in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely a good thing to keep in mind. I'm Mark Rotella, Publishers Weekly Radio, and we're giving you a sneak peek at the bestseller list. But along the way, we also talk about books that are pubbing this week that uh, might be of interest and might find themselves on list next week. Um, got one memoir right here by uh, Michael Haney. He's the GQ deputy editor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called uh, After Visiting Friends, A Son's Story. And this tells his story about uh, growing up in Chicago and hearing from his uncle, that is 35-year-old father, Bob, who's a reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, sure. died uh, from apparent heart attack. And when Haney himself turned 35, he decided to set out on a quest to find out what happened to his father, obviously who died the same age he was at the time. Mm -hmm. And we say uh, in this heartfelt memoir in our review, Haney, uh, Haney painfully reconstructs the few years he recalls with his father and painstakingly searches for clues that might help him understand his father's death. And so this takes him on a journey where he interviews people, talks to people from all aspects of his life. And he finds out something, which we don't uh, divulge in our review, but he finds out something shocking uh, about his father. And, and this is a book that will, will most likely get attention. Uh, a lot of people, especially in media, have, have been familiar with Michael Haney's uh, editing and writing. And I think that's something that people will uh, prick their ears about. Yeah, that sounds really kind of intense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I've been finding there's been quite a few memoirs like that mm -hmm. uh, of people going back to find out what happened in a parent's death to, to answer questions. And, and again, in memoir writing, the trick is to how to uncover that and research it, but also talk about it in a way that's, that's kind of compelling and maybe resonates for, for others. Right. And I've, I found that, that that sort of thing echoes through your life, whether you're even consciously aware of it or not. I remember when I got married, I couldn't help myself comparing you know, my age to the age my parents were when they got sure. married and then the age my grandparents were when they got married. And of course, you know, culture changes sure. all the time. Uh, but somehow it's you, you just can't resist the urge to look for that sort of parallel between your, your life and your ancestors. You're lives. absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, and, and talking about, you know, family uh, memoirs, or at least maybe not family memoirs, but, but lives with families. Uh, there is a book, it's more like a, uh, a self-help book or help book called the secrets of happy families, improve your mornings, rethink family dinner, 
fight smarter, go out and play, and much, much more. And this is by Bruce Feiler, who uh, has a column in the New York Times, and he writes about families, writes about uh, religion, faith, belief, and families. And this is a book that uh, already uh, A.J. Jacobs, who's uh, uh, a former magazine editor and columnist who has written The Drop Dead Healthy and The Know-It-All books. Uh, these are books where it's uh, kind of uh, experiential writing where mm-hmm. he does something, lives uh, uh, sure. something for a while. And he's actually interviewed him in an interview for uh, Amazon.com. And this book by Father, I think, will also be getting uh, attention. And uh, he's got a big readership. Uh, and I think this book uh, expands across many uh, readers. Sure. So when you say he writes about religion, is there a religious element to this particular book? Or is it more broadly applicable? Well, we haven't reviewed this book, but I think it's much broad, mostly about uh, faith, whatever that faith may be. So I don't think it's specifically any religion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and I think that he writes about that and touches about that in his columns, which mostly have to do with upbringing. He's a very humorous writer who who has the ability to nail things, uh, real pertinent things, to make you see what's going on. But atheist parents might have to look somewhere else for the secrets to happy atheist families. You know, I'm not too sure he even. I I think his his uh, definition of faith is could be anything. I right. think so. I think he's broad enough to to bring in a large readership. Mm-hmm. And uh, on another note, we have this book that's pubbing uh, this week. It's uh, Top Dog: The Science of Winning and Losing, and this is by Poe Bronson and Ashley Merriman. Now we may remember them uh, the authors of Nurture Shock. And in this book, they praise healthy competition as a force that not only spurs individuals to excel, but drives the progress of entire cultures. Uh, and so here they, they, they talk about everything from the Greek Olympics. And it's a lot of science-based uh, uh, thought. And, and, and we've seen many books, uh, many of these kind of self-help books that are science-based, that, that kind of look at society through science and analyze it through uh, people's reactions, through numbers, through hypotheses. And, and for instance, the authors discuss why the home field advantage in sports is just as relevant in diplomacy and deal-making. So hmm. why, you know, so whatever it is, why the home field advantage is, is relevant. They argue that women are better at judging risk while men are better at ignoring it. And they also talk about why siblings are more competitive than firstborns and how early childhood influences shape uh, competitive styles. Well, that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. So, so those are three of the books that I, that I see coming on our list. And uh, I, I think they're going to be getting quite a bit of talk. And on the fiction side, I just wanted to point out um, a couple of short story collections. Uh, this one's from, uh, actually, a, a couple of them are from smaller presses. Um, one is The Inner City by Karen Heuler. That's H-E-U-L-E-R. And I mm-hmm. hope I'm pronouncing it right. Um, she pronounce, presents an engrossing collection of 15 uh, sort of speculative tales, fantastical tales of the ways that individuals and society influence one another. And you say these are short stories. Yeah, they're short stories. Um, it, there's actually, um, I'm looking at our tip sheet newsletter, which I yeah. highly recommend for the hottest books that are coming out. And it seems like it's all short fiction. Uh, we have uh, If a Stranger Approaches 
Approaches You by Laura Kashiske, mm. which, again, I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, um, which is a collection of stories, though she's written eight novels and eight poetry collections. This is her first short story collection, uh, and that's a, a contemporary fiction collection about characters who are confronted by anger and fear. Mm. Um, and finally, I wanted to mention Nothing Gold Can Stay by Ron Rash, which is another short fiction collection. Um, and this one explores life in North Carolina in all of its variety. So there's definitely a lot out there for fans of shorter works. If you need something just you know, to read while you're on the bus or before you fall asleep, it's nice to have a, a neat little package of fiction. Yeah, and I feel with short fiction, with short stories, uh, there was a time when publishers were a little skeptical to publish, but it seems like uh, many of the guests we've had on the show have discussed their big books as being uh, short fiction or short books of short stories. So I just, I'm such a huge fan yeah. of small works. Yeah, I am too. I am too. <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm really glad to see that trend shifting a little, and I hope it continues to do so. Fantastic. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella. And, and this, this is Publishers, Publishers Weekly, Weekly Radio. Radio. <laughs> Next up, we're going to be talking with author Beverly Jenkins about her new novel, Destiny's Embrace. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox. You're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Today we've got Beverly Jenkins on the line. She's the author of over 30 historical romances featuring African Americans. Beverly, thanks so much for, for joining us on Black History Month. Well, thank you for, for inviting me. We are so delighted to have you on, and I'm hoping that you're going to tell us all about, uh, first of all, your new novel, Destiny's Embrace. Yes. Uh, it's the first book in a new series that is set in uh, 1880s California. I haven't had a chance to really set a book there yet. I've been wanting to do so because of the, the great uh, history. Um, and in doing the research, I found out that California is the only state in the Union named for a black woman. So uh, that's kind of exciting. That. Queen Calafia. She was oh. an Amazon queen, uh, fictional. Uh -huh. Featured in a book in 1500 by a Spanish guy. And she lived on an island of gold, and she had battle-trained griffins, and she had a navy, and she had a, an army of Amazon warriors, and caught the imagination of, of Spain back then with the book. And some of the historians say that, in reality, the, uh, the conquistadors were looking for her island of gold when they came to the New World looking for uh, El Dorado. So... Uh, She's become the spirit of California over the years, and um, there are murals of her and her Amazons in some of the older hotels, and uh, Disney did a tribute in the 80s and had Whoopi Goldberg as the queen, and Whoopi did the narration for a, I don't know, 10, 15-minute presentation that they did on the history and spirit of California, even had a bust of, of Whoopi as the queen, and then... Uh, they tore everything down and replaced it with a ride for the Little Mermaid. <laughs> wow! 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 Now, so did you know all of this? Did you know all of this uh, before I, I, you started researching? Or, or I knew or? a little. I knew a little bit about Queen Calafia, but I didn't know that you know California was supposedly named after her and all of that. So it was mm -hmm. was quite surprising and, and quite uh, uh, invigorating. So I put that in the book. So you write about the Civil War in the late 19th century America. What is it about that period that captures your imagination? Well, um, 
I do it because what happened in the 19th century is the base and the basis of who and what the race is today in the 20th, 21st century. Mm-hmm. In spite of the Jim Crow and the lynchings and the, the horror that was visited on the race after uh, the Civil War when the United States pulled the troops out and, out of New Orleans in 1876, the race continued to thrive. I mean, we, we still built, co- we built colleges. We, um, we were explorers. We founded towns. Uh, we loved. We raised our, our kids. We, mm-hmm. you know, so all of that is the basis for who and what the race is now. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the history books, you will see that, you know, African Americans, you know, arrived here as, as Africans in the, in the halls of ships and, then we were freed in 1865, and there's sort of a whole century missing, and we're suddenly rediscovered in the history books, Ryden and Watts in 1965. Mm-hmm. You have that whole century where there's nothing about the great black newspapers that were, were published in the 19th century. You, you find very, very little about the, the men that were in Congress at that time or the, the, the one senator that, that represented the race. So there's so much there, and... Uh, I could spend the rest of my life writing about the, the uh, 19th century and, and, and still, not, still not have enough time to tell all the stories. I'm Mark Rotella, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. We're talking with Beverly Jenkins, Jenkins about writing African-American historical romance. Beverly, many of your books, the last couple of books, anyway, have been set if we've been talking the late 19th century America. What and, and you talked about this is a whole time period, a century that's gone by. How much... Research do you put in uh, into your novels and writing that? I mean, you're telling about everyday people, about love uh, in, in times after tribulation. I have a bibliography in the backs of most of my books. I spent most of my adult years working in libraries, so the research for me is very, 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 very easy. And there's a lot of historians mm-hmm. whose shoulders I stand on um, to bring this accurate history to my readers. I get a real kick out of it. I love the history. I love the research. And, you know, it was also, um, I put the Biblist in, in order for people to who wanted to do more investigating into whatever time period I'm doing, whether it's the Civil War, whether it's the, the black and brown outlaws of Indian Territory, or, or whether it's the Jean de Calore of, of Louisiana, so that they could go to the back of the book, they could look at the sites that I've cited, and go ahead and do that research if they wanted to delve further. So... It's a, it's a cool way and painless way of teaching parts of, the, of, of American history that have sort of fallen out or were torn out of the quilt that makes us a country. And tell me a little bit about why you write romance particularly. It seems sort of at first glance that it might be hard to balance that with some of the, the harsh realities that were going on at the time. Well, I, I, I tell people I write romance because that's the first thing that's sold. <laughs> um, you have a tendency to go with with, you know, what is picked. And, you know, and I'm blessed to have a, a, a editors and a, a publishing company that will let me do, you know, a lot of different things. But, you know, I, I try and balance that harshness with a little bit of humor, um, like you said, with the everyday lives, because, you know, you we, we didn't spend our whole lives running from the Klan and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But, you know, you want to give a taste or a touch or even a little bit more of the reality so you could see how the political situation affected people in their everyday lives. 
Are there other authors who are who are writing this particular time period and and with this particular focus? I feel like you're really the only one I see. I sort of got the niche to myself. Um, I know Anita Bunkley is doing some things, and she has done some things in the past. But basically, you know, I'm it. I think um, it'd be nice for me to be able to, to you know, to read somebody else who's doing uh, um, this sort of research. I know um, Pitts, first name um, Lewis has done a, the book titled The Freeman, which mm-hmm. is about an uh, African-American man who um, walks from Pennsylvania back down south to find his wife after the Civil War. Wow. And that's, pro- that's probably the, one of the closest things to to what I've been writing. But, yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I've, you know, wanted to ex- explore, too, because, you know, people say, well, you know, black people and the love and, you know, and, and stereotypes and all that. But, you know, there were many, many men who walked for months and months and months after the Civil War looking for their families and looking for their wives. So you try and base it in reality and then and, and do your own fictional twist on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure that some of our listeners are also authors or aspiring authors. Do you have any suggestions for someone who might want to, to break into the field a little bit in this area? Well, yeah, I, you know, you want to write, regardless of what you're writing, you want to write the best book that you can. But you also want to do the research, mm-hmm. and you want it to be as accurate as possible, because people will send you letters if your stuff's not right. Um, and you want it to reflect, uh, you know, what people did every day, how they spoke. Uh, you have to immerse yourself in the uh, time period. When I first started doing this 19th century um, journey back in 1994, I was so immersed in the time period and the, and the language that my whole speech patterns changed. And, you know, I'd be speaking, and people were like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so you know, you, you become so immersed in it. And, you know, and, I, and, and earlier, you know, I'd be writing, and, you know, the phone would ring, and it would really jolt me. It was like, oh, that's right, you know, there are phones now. So, right. um, you know, you just have to immerse yourself and, and what they wore. I have a... Um, a catalog from Bloomingdale's from 1886, so I can see what the clothing looked like, and wow. you know, wow. yeah, surround yourself with with great historical stuff. I've got another book that uh, focuses on everyday life in the 19th century, and you know, and it talks about the money and and what people wore and what they drove and what the stoves looked like, and you know, because you want to be accurate, you don't want to have to guess, or you don't want to make anything up because that isn't necessary. If you do your research, it'll all unfold for you. I'm Rose Fox, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, and we are talking with Beverly Jenkins about writing African-American historical romance. About 10 years ago, you started branching out into romantic suspense and faith-based women's fiction. Tell us about that. I was, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky and, and blessed to be with a publisher that uh, will let me play in different sandboxes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes publishers, you get into one genre, and, and it's a hard time breaking out. But they've been very, very encouraging. So um, when my editor asked me if I had anything that was contemporary, I went into my little drawer and brought out this story. And I love doing the romantic suspense because I, I like I get to do car chases, and I get to blow stuff up, and um, I get to do, you know, freaky kind of science kinds of things. Mm-hmm. and. Uh-huh. So, scientists who were doing cold fusion experiments and chased by the bad guys and all that. So there are five of those in that series. Um, the readers really, really liked it. 
I'd like to get back to that maybe on my own. Um, but I love that series. I love it. I got to do uh, uh, Deadly Sexy, which is about a female sports agent and, mm-hmm. you know, the the intrigue around one of her guys that she fired, one of her employees. So, And I'm a big sports fan. So I got to put my love of sports in that. So I'm really, really, in, really enjoy the the romantic suspense. Now, the faith-based stuff, that was interesting because my agent has been on me for years about doing a small-town book because she said, you know, with the historicals, I was really, really good at creating these small towns. Right. And I like to put my stories on top of places where African-Americans actually walked. So, you know, I'm not creating these, these, these towns out of the blue. So she went to my editor with a proposal about uh, doing a small-town book, and out of that proposal came the Blessing series. And basically what I did was I took the small town from my very first book, which is based on the all-black towns in Kansas that were established in the 18, late 1870s, and I put my faith-based book, the first one, in the same town so that you could see what happened to this town from, like, 1879 to, you know, 21st century. Right. And if you know anything about small towns, you know that mostly the infrastructure is gone, there's not anybody to pay the taxes, uh, usually nobody there but senior citizens. And that was what was happening with this town. And you have the descendants from my original town still living in this small town. So since they couldn't pay their bills and they're having all these economic issues, they put themselves on eBay. Huh. And the town, yeah, and the town is called Henry Adams, Kansas. And I took that because there's been a couple precedents, especially out uh, in the Northwest and in California, of small towns putting themselves on eBay. So they put themselves on eBay, the town fathers, and uh, there's a woman uh, back east who has just gotten an enormous divorce settlement from her oil executive husband. Mm-hmm. And instead of taking that 200, and I think she got 248 million as a settlement. Wow. Um, instead of buying shoes and handbags like I would have done, she buys, <laughs> <laughs> she buys this town because she's uh, she's into the history and she wants to preserve the history. But she was a social worker when she married her husband. And so that has always resonated, you know, the desire to help and, and be helpful and change lives has always resonated within her. So she gets these, uh, brings in five foster kids mm-hmm. and that's a bunch of foster parents and brings everybody to Henry Adams and uh, wants these kids to be raised old school. So with the help of the senior citizens that are there and these new foster parents, we watch these five at-risk kids grow and blossom and, 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 and enjoy you know, life out on, in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. on the plains of north central Kansas. So there are so far four books in the series. It's gotten great Great reviews. Uh, there's a big crossover. Readers reading it from all walks of life, all colors, all ages. I got a letter, uh, email a couple months ago from a young man who was 17, and he's dyslexic. And he said uh, in the email that he had never read for pleasure because it was so difficult for him, mm-hmm. but that he had read all four of these books, and that just wow. sort of made my heart just go, you know, thump, thump, thump. Um, yeah, I imagine it did. That's wonderful. Yeah, foster parents have sent me letters. Uh, they've sent me pictures of their children, um, social workers. Uh, it's, it's just been, you know, it's called the Blessing Series, but it has been a blessing in my life as well. Wow, and 
going back to maybe the faith-based women's fiction, in in a review of of your book in in our magazine, something old, something new, we call that novel Christian romance. W- would you agree with that? Well, I you know I it's not you know it's so hard sometimes to put books in the box. You know, publishers and and booksellers want to sort of put you in a box so they'll so, know how to sell it. And I guess you could call it Christian because it's based in that kind of a of a foundation. Um, but you could also call it historical, contemporary historical. You could also call it women's fiction. You could also call it. I mean, we've got a, a eight hundred pound hog who's a murderer in this series too. So I don't know what you'd call that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so you know, I'm just. Just glad that, you know, I'm in the bookstore, you know, and wherever they want to put it or call it um, is fine with me. I'm Mark Rattel, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. We're talking with Beverly Jenkins about African-American historical romance. And, Beverly, I'm going to throw a little change up here. You had mentioned earlier on you're a big sports fan. What what yeah. teams What teams and what sports? Uh, and where football, is it that you live football, right now? Football. Football. <laughs> football. My daddy started taking me to games when I was eight years old. Um, you know, I'm outside. We grew up in Detroit, so ah. you know, I have the Lions are my cross to bear. And right. um, but love football, love uh, college basketball. Getting ready for March Madness with my uh, college team, Michigan State. I think we're number, I think we're number eight now mm-hmm. in the uh, wow. AP uh, 25 poll. Um, we're playing Indiana tonight. Indiana's raised number one. So um, love football, love hockey. Red oh, Wings fan. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Cup. Uh, we're not doing real well this year, but, you know, we'll, we'll be back. Uh, well, we've only had yeah. half a season. <laughs> What'd you say? You've only had half a season of hockey. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. even at that, you know. Right, I, uh, right. Not a real good fan, fan of the commissioner, sure. but, you know, that's a different conversation. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, so now, now, one question about music. You had mentioned something uh, before we got on. Uh, what is it you're listening to right now, and why oh, okay. something you yeah, posted on it's, Facebook? It's, 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 most, it's Smokey Robinson's birthday today, right. and um, I have a tendency to to just break out what I call the turntable and, and, and put stuff up. My my fans are, are are so wonderful; they call me DJ Bevy Bev. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's so great. when that's you guys called. I was um, doing a tribute to uh, Smokey Robinson. It was his mm-hmm. birthday. He's 73 years old. God, that man still looks good. Wow. Um, so I had just gotten through with maybe playing, I don't know, eight or nine. Because, you know, from Detroit. So I grew up with mm-hmm. this. Sure. Um, so I finished. I just finished playing eight or nine of his uh, tunes with him and the Miracles. And then I was going to do um, a quick little set on some of the other stuff that he's written because he wrote for everybody at Motown. I mean, from The Temptations to Marvelettes to Marvin Gaye to Mary Wells. So I had just put up uh, It's Growing by The Temptations, which is one of my favorite tunes. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I love Facebook. I call it Crackbook because I'm there a lot too much. <laughs> sure, um, sure. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, so that was what I was doing when you guys called. All right. Well, we've been talking with Beverly Jenkins, who's the author of Destiny's Embrace, out now from Avon Historical Romance. And obviously, you can also find her and her tunes on Facebook. (laughs) Beverly, thank you so much for joining us today. You are so welcome. Thanks for the invite. I had a ball. All right. So did we. 
I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio. Next up, PW Senior News Editor Calvin Reed is going to talk to us about some more noteworthy recent books by and about African Americans. Come back in a few minutes to keep celebrating Black History Month with us. Stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella. You're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Now, every week we get insider info from one of the editors at Publishers Weekly. And today, in honor of Black History Month, PW senior news editor Calvin Reed has some interesting books by and about African Americans. Calvin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for inviting me. And Happy Black History Month. Happy Black History <laughs> Month. I guess you don't if, often greet people with that. If that's but why what not? One says, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, you, you don't. You don't spend all February going around. <laughs> no, I don't. But sending you know up what? balloons. I couldn't pass up the opportunity just now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, great. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Actually, we've got some great books. Obviously, I uh, one of the things I do uh, each year is I edit the um, the African American History Black History. Um, feature mm-hmm. uh, and or we look at business trends but one of the things we also do is we look at what are the uh, titles coming out early in the year right. generally it's kind of spring books and, and some books from the end of the year and uh, obviously we've got some great stuff uh, to talk about so let me get right to it on the fiction side, and I'm going to start out with a book that it's actually probably known to the audience, but it's so big we should mention it, The Twelve Tribes of Hattie mm-hmm. by Ayana, uh, Ayana Mavis, uh, starred review, I believe, right, by us, by PW, um, picked by Oprah Winfrey for her book club. Um, it's on the New York Times bestseller. Uh, it seems to be getting great reviews from everyone. Um, it's a, a family saga about um, a woman who's... Um, twins die in the 1920s and she kind of spends her whole life dealing with this issue it never seems to leave her and her subsequent children uh seem to grow up um, both loving and fearing her to some degree so uh it, the book's getting great great attention um let's see uh, let's go to another novel by um a really a much acclaimed literary author percival everett and he's a a distinguished professor at USC, um, best known for writing sort of metafictional satire, particularly on race. Um, I think a book that, um, I think he's written about 15 novels. Uh, I think one that you may remember is a book called Erasure. Uh, It's hilarious um, about a a black professor, a major academic, who just disgusted that uh, he feels that literary critics embrace only portrayals of, of black pathology, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, more or less like push. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so he sort of writes a parody of um, what he calls of uh, an Ebonics-driven novel that huh. indeed is embraced <laughs> and kind of hailed as a new masterpiece. Uh, but this new book is called Percival Everett by Virgil Russell. Oh. By... Percival Everett. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh, pers- uh, Mr. Everett's novels tend to be halls of, uh, you know, uh, um, tend to be sort of circus mirror shows uh, where in, in which you're not quite sure of the image that you're looking at. I mean, the book centers around um, uh, a, a novelist in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a nursing care home and his son and a novel that may or may not have been written by either one of them. That, uh, but really, the book sort of looks at their relationship. 
So, um, uh, from Grey Wolf Press. I remember actually to, taking to a... Take note of. Uh, I, took, I took a writing class with Percival Everett ah. at Bennington, yeah. uh, a really wonderful mm-hmm. instructor. And, mm. and that's when I came, in, you know, I came into contact with his writing, uh, when I was writing, you know, reading yeah. his, his books. Usually pretty short, but uh, one might, you know, some might say uh, uh, experimental in ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's got, there's plenty of them. Like I said, he's yeah. written 15, 20 novels. Right. Um, moving right along, uh, this is an author who, uh, you know, she's, um, we, we focus on a book she wrote about a year and a half ago, and she has a new novel that came out, um, at the end of this year, uh, Sefi Atta, um, Nigerian, if I'm not mistaken, uh, her, the new novel is called A Bit of Difference, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, published by Interlink, uh, came out at the end of the year, it's, uh, uh the story of an, an unmarried, uh, Nigerian expatriate, female professional she lives in london um she so over time is dissatisfied with you know really her sort of cloistered life in london she returns to nigeria and this sends her through yeah. uh you know sort of a personal crisis as she tr- looks and examines her life so um uh and a previous novel swallow also is very good if you want to mm-hmm. look look that up as well um, I'm going to switch. This is fiction, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, sure. Well, I'm Mark Rotella, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. Right now, PW Senior News Editor Calvin Reed is giving us the rundown on interesting books featuring African Americans for Black History Month. Um, yeah, most like all of the books I have right now really have African American authors, but our feature really looks at books by and about African Americans. It really kind of looks mm-hmm. at books that deal with the subject sure. by any author. Right. Um, but I really want to jump to this book because uh, obviously, what you guys know, one of the things I do here is I cover the uh, graphic novel, comics and graphic novel market. Um, and this is a book that came out at the end of last year. I, it seems though it it got slept by a lot of people. Could really use some attention. It's called Prince of Cats. It's really a uh, – it, it's by a, um, a young uh, author by the name of Ron Wimberly, but it's a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. It's a new interpretation of Romeo and Juliet, uh, as so many others have in the past. Sure. It kind of recreates it for a new reality. So it's the Prince of Cats. It's the story of T-Bolt and, uh, and Petruchio and Mercutio. Uh, but set in Brooklyn, and and the the, the Capulets and the Montagues are uh, this gang banging hip hop influence uh, group, um, but also tremendously influenced by Japanese pop culture. Uh, they're they're sort of ninja uh, a samurai <laughs> wow. uh, gang bangers, right. and wow. uh, on top of everything, on top of a really complicated and really uh, uh, interesting. You know, recreation of Shakespeare. Um, Wimberly has written all the dialogue in iambic pentameter, but it's a but it's a certain <laughs> oh, kind of it's a mashup of Shakespearean English and hip hop Brooklyn, you know, black street slang. It's really quite amazing, really uh, really entertaining, really another fresh look at Shakespeare, and uh, it's worth some more. It's worth a little more attention. I don't. It, we feel like it didn't get enough attention. Right. So, Prince of Cats, uh, published by Vertigo, and it's an imprint of DC Comics. Can you describe to to our listeners a little bit what the uh, drawings, what the illustrations might look like on this? You know, he's well, he's a he's a real colorist, and and they're really a vivid. Um, he's got a really really vivid palette. It's it's kind of hard for me to evoke it, but really, it's it's kind of like a hip hop. Um, 
a, a music video right. with samurai swords. I mean, think very contemporary fashion, wow. uh, very hip hop oriented fashion and street culture. So realistic depictions. It's, it's a it was it's a representational style of drawing. Right. It's not pure, you know, it's not photorealistic, but it's not cartoony either. So mm-hmm. yes, there's a naturalism to his drawings, but there but the color palette is so vivid and bright. Although the night scenes are very dark and grim, right. uh, that there's a real pop sensibility to it. So, so it it's it has a it's a tragic story that has a very upbeat feel to it. Strangely mm-hmm. enough, and it's so inventive that um, it's really a delight to read. So this, this sounds uh, sort of sort of attack the block ish, or, or good like, point. Yeah, that's or, it, or it, like it, Maurice Broadus's yeah. Kingmaker book. It's interesting you bring out the uh, attack the block. I mean, I, I wouldn't give it a, a I wouldn't give it a complete connection with that because it really is a, a, it really is Shakespeare, you know, uh, rewritten. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is. It really is. It puts it in a whole different section, and it puts it in a different point of view. Um, it's Shakespeare filtered through, you know, KRS One and uh, right. um, you know, and Dr. Dre and uh, and Jay Z. I'm Rose Fox, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. Right now, PW Senior News Editor Calvin Reed is telling us about some hot books uh, by and about African Americans. And you said you had some nonfiction to yes. spin for us as well. I do indeed. Um, where do I start? Let's see. Um, let's jump to, since um, the baseball season is uh, upon us, Pitchers and Catchers yes, Report yes. Okay, so this week. Uh, there's a terrific book coming out from uh, the Atlantic Monthly Press, Colorblind, uh, the forgotten team um, that broke baseball's color line. And, and basically this is a, a book about, uh, and this is something, and I'm a big baseball nut, but I really knew nothing about this team. It's a semi-pro team in the 1930s that actually had a completely, it was kind of a barnstorming team that had a completely integrated um, a lineup. In the 1930s? In the 1930s, um, long before Jackie Robinson showed up on the scene, um, uh, Dunkel, who was sort of an amateur historian, has gone back and researched this team. And uh, among other people, Satchel Paige, mm-hmm. Played for the team, right. uh, a number of other, a number of other well-known um, black baseball stars. But it's uh, a really unusual look at uh, a time before Jackie Robinson, before integrated baseball, and uh, really, I guess the fact that there is nothing new under the, under the sun. And do you recall where this team was based? It was town? based in, you know, was it based in a town in North Dakota? That's oh. the other thing. Was wow. way out, you know, and so, I don't have all of it. I haven't read it myself. Yeah. But I don't have all the material in front of me, but uh, it was based in North the, uh, uh, Dakota, and uh, apparently uh, was a winning team, but was uh, integrated top to bottom wow. at, at a time when that. Wasn't that was even considered. Yes, yeah, sure. unheard of. It wouldn't. Yes. It wouldn't have happened on screen. It, it wouldn't have happened on screen. Now there was a. T- it did happen very often in Cuba. In back sure. in those days, in the barnstorming teams and white major leaguers would leave and go uh, to the Caribbean right. to play winter league ball. Um, the black players in the Negro leagues would also go down there because actually they could play on Cuban teams uh, and integrated teams there. But wow. in this country, it was pretty much unheard of. Yeah. Well, that sounds pretty spectacular. Definitely something for the baseball fans Absolutely. out there. Absolutely. Is, is, that, is that out already? Or is it, it is out? Um, out in, no, you know what? It's out in April 1st. April 1st is out. So, you know, you might even be able to find it in some stores now. Uh, but most of the other, all of the other books I've mentioned now are out, either came out toward the end of the year or in January. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, another uh, nonfiction work um, that I did. Oh, this is a this is really almost like a monograph, but it's put out by the Yale University Press. But it's really of a really extraordinary artist. Carrie Mae Weems is a, a best to describe her, sort of a conceptual photographer. She really um, rose to prominence in the early 1990s. Uh, she straddles a line between doing what you know what you might call conceptual photography, uh, images that bring together kind of disparate subject matter that uh, uh, offer a critical a critical response to social, mm-hmm. right. uh, a, a, really a social reading uh, put together in a photograph. But she also is able to do really powerful em- emotive photography as well. Well, Yale University Press has basically put together a retrospective of like 30 years, I believe it is, of of her work. And um, it's a big, pricey collection. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, see, I believe it's available this, you know, it's available at the end of the year. It's really the first major collection of her work. And it will also accompany a series of uh, big museum shows. Uh, that will go on around the country. So, Carrie Mae Weems uh, from Yale University Press. So far, it sounds you, you've got a great mix here: sports, art, graphic novels. Is there anything uh, else? African American publishing? It's right. all over the place and in every area. Let's see. Uh, one last, maybe a nonfiction uh, book that uh, to talk about. It's called The Black Count: Glory, Revolution. Betrayal and the Real Count of Monte Cristo. I picked that up at Book Expo last year. I was so Voila. excited yes. by it. It's a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. There you go. There you go. It actually, well, it, it showed up on a lot of uh, yeah. of best books lists by by people. There you go. I, See, I've really got a validation that. for my recommendation right well, here in the room. That, not that you need right. one. You're the expert. But, uh, no, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a it's, totally fascinating. It's book. by Tom Rice. It's from Crown. I was I came out at the end of the year, and it is essentially. Um, a biography of the father of Alexander Dumas, um, who was a, a, a Haitian who's, who actually was born um, to a French nobleman and a slave in Haiti. He was one of the first um, black French generals uh, and apparently led a life of uh, swashbuckling heroism that was that was even more astounding than what his son wrote about right wow. yeah, so, and Alexander it, he Dumas, was the model apparently. You know, wrote, wrote the count of monte cristo yes. uh, and the three musketeers but this is very much you know what his uh his his father was uh i think a model yeah very, very for, clearly for uh, yeah he, he just led an incredible life yeah <laughs> clearly fiction is stranger uh than, <laughs> right. than even nonfiction, and he outdoes apparently the 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 fictional stuff so um so yeah, as you can see, African American publishing uh, by, by and about African Americans obviously is wide and diverse from fiction to nonfiction to uh, to uh, photography, art, you name it. Great. Well, thank you so much. I'm Mark Rotella. You're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio right now. PW uh, Senior News Editor Calvin Reed has given us the rundown on interesting books featuring uh, African Americans. Calvin, I have one last question. Sure. You've been doing these roundups and this feature for a while, either either overseeing it, editing, or writing it. Have have you seen many changes in the kinds of books that are coming up, or or, or, or have you noticing more surprises, or even more books that might be hitting bestseller lists or or, or getting noticed? Well, there certainly there have been a lot of changes over the years. I've obviously been editing this uh, uh, feature for a long time, uh, and actually before I edited, Daisy Marilis edited. I mean, that's right. a name you may not know unless you've been in the book publishing industry for many years, but she was uh, our, our former executive editor. But uh, Daisy sort of handed it over to me. 
But yeah, sure. There, there, there's been a lot of changes. Uh, you know, we've gone through a period where, um, where you know, urban fiction and street lit sort of dominated for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some years, nonfiction is is really strong. Um, in the last you know few years, I think you know we've seen a real rise in literary fiction to some extent. Although that you know uh, uh, some black publishing professionals in the business do tend to think that black literary fiction uh, took a hit during the um, the rise of the st- of street lit mm-hmm. uh, for a good chunk of the 90s but really i think what i've seen in my time editing this is really how broadly and particularly after about the mid 1990s mm-hmm. um publishing direct uh, book publishing was directed at a, a at a market of African American readers and people interested in Afri- uh, Afro Americana. Right. So I mean, the audience for these books are not uh, exclusively black people, though certainly black people are are the core core demographic. But really, uh, uh, the 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 growth of publishing aimed at anyone interested at this at this category has probably been the most interesting things that I've seen come out of it. Well, this was also the time you say the 90s when when uh, publishers started bringing in uh, uh, imprints that, that dealt specifically yeah. with African-American issues, themes, True. or books. And, and this is about when they realized, uh, publishers, that you know, we've got a great and rich sure. audience here. You know, I think there was a, there was, there was a time uh, point in about the mid-1990s where I think it was like three best uh, black black writers on the bestseller list. I think it was Toni Morrison and, uh, and sure. I, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed because I, I'm losing track of the other authors because it was three black women, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to mark a sort of watershed uh, for the mainstream publishing industry. And I mean, also around that time, and I should say just your previous question about trends, self-publishing, and, and, I, and I, I, I overlooked this, but I should jump back to it. Black self-publishing really launched a trend that we started to see later on here during the digital transition as more and more as self-publishing became easier and easier. But around the mid-90s, really, um, um, uh, authors like Elin Harris and others really started self-publishing and used self-publishing to sort of force their way into the mainstream of book publishing. And so uh, we were doing features uh, about the rise of self-publishing uh, among African American authors, you know, in the mid 1990s, and then later on, jump forward about 10 years, and we're really talking about how that category has exploded across the whole industry thanks to technology making it so much right. easier. So I, I would put self-publishing, um, um, a lot of which originally was um, street lit, right, uh, is probably also another really important trend that I've seen come out of African American publishing. Wow, and I and I would say. Um, by the way, for those hearing the sirens in the background, that's because uh, we're in our offices here in the New York <laughs> the City. Heart the, yeah, right. the heart of Manhattan. The heart of Manhattan. I promise they're not coming to get us. Um, but I've, I've also, because I handle the speculative fiction, I've seen a tremendous increase in the numbers of uh, African-American authors there. Um, it's, sure. it's really been quite remarkable. And, and especially if you go around to conventions and you're meeting people in person, uh, just since I started going to conventions in the mid nineties, the population has diversified so much, um, both fans and mm-hmm. authors. 
I think that's a, definitely another. That's thing a positive. Yeah. You know, yeah, it sure we, is. You know, we can always do better. So yes, <laughs> you can always right. use a little more diversity. So <laughs> absolutely. Fantastic. Well, that's the word from Calvin Reed, who's the senior news editor here at Publishers Weekly. Um, Calvin, thank you so much for joining us for our my pleasure thank celebration you. of thank Black you. History. I'll be back. Oh, we know. <laughs> We're going to be All knocking right. at your door. We don't doubt it. <laughs> Great. And that's it for today's show. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella. You've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. If you want to hear your question on the air next week, just email it to pwradio at publishersweekly.com or you can tweet it at pubweeklyradio. That's pubwkly radio on Twitter. And we would love to hear from you. Tune in next week for more excellent book talk right here on Sirius XM Book Radio, Channel 80. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio Show.